you know, here you go, go away, here's 30 days recipes, breakfast, lunch and dinner, buy this food, follow this food. And you know what, people just bloody well wouldn't do it. Well, if I did it for you, would you eat it? Yeah. Of course, they said yes. Yeah. And it was just one of those things. You know, I didn't want my um, clientele to sort of fail. Welcome to Screw It, Just Do It, brought to you by Startup You, inspiring and supporting entrepreneurs to make a full-time living doing what you love. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell, fellow entrepreneur, Virgin mentor, and founder of Startup You, the regional partner of Virgin Startup, providing startup funding, mentoring, and support. Each episode features the stories from two entrepreneurs at different stages in their journey who talk us through their successes and failures. You get to take on board all of their learnings and none of the failure. Today's podcast is brought to you by Hayes, who are the number one recruiting experts in the UK. Whether you're searching for your perfect job or looking to scale your business by building the perfect team, go to hayes.co.uk, quoting Startup You. First up on today's show is award-winning businesswoman Barbara Cox. Barbara founded NutriChef from her kitchen table in 2004 before selling it some 11 years later in 2015. Barbara grew NutriChef from a local to a national operation, providing healthy, nutritious meals delivered direct to your door before it became popular. Since then, she's worked with a number of lifestyle brands, as well as bringing out her own recipe book. I caught up with her to find out how it all started. First thing I wanted to ask you, Barbara, was what first interested you in food, drink, the whole nutrition landscape? Oh, wow, that's a great question. I I would say that that would have to go back to my um, skating days and, um, you know, training and and eating. I've always been kind of a foodie. I mean, growing up in Canada, we have such very strong seasons. And so my mum was a great cook. And so we always always ate seasonal food, but, you know, um, way back when (laughs) we didn't really know much about sports nutrition. So as Canadian champion skater, basically I I ate rubbish and, um, you know, I can't remember drinking water or taking a water bottle, you know, with me while I was training and my coach never talked about, um, you know, food for fuel in, in a performance, um, sort of aspect And so I was sponsored by Snickers bars as you were then. And, uh, (laughs) you know, so it, 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 I think was just through become very, becoming very unwell and developing something called hypoglycemia. And that's when your blood sugar levels raise really quickly and then crash quite quickly, quickly because I had so much sort of sugary foods for the energy that I needed to train that as a, you know, as a result of that became unwell and it, finished my career. So getting into food and and sports nutrition was a way of recovery and hence going into the field myself and trying to inspire and educate and motivate other athletes to not make the same mistakes um, that I made during my training days. And, And I guess that's how I I, it all really began. And then, <laughs> and then, and really, um, where I got most interested in the varieties of food was spending 10 years 
um, living in Japan, where I was just blown away by how amazing the food was there, how um, the variety that they had, the you know how how the diseases of civilization were were kind of non-existent. I mean, I, I haven't lived there now for. Um, for what, 15 years plus, but, you know, I lived there for a good 10 years. So it, it made a massive impact on my life, hence solidified that I was in the right, um, you know, area of work and, you know, to, to flow and educate and um, motivate people really in the food industry. And when you were skating um, back in Canada, were you looking at that time thinking that, that was a potential career for you or, or if not, what other kind of jobs did you want to do growing up? Oh, <laughs> one of my very first jobs that I wanted to do was wanted to be the first woman astronaut. Um, so yeah, awesome. I've always had kind of a high aspirations for myself, but hence I had the skill for skating when I got into that um, at about the age of 10, although I'd, I'd been on skates probably since the age of four. And, and, it, it, and so of course I, I kind of um, had a natural flair for it and absolutely loved it. But not at any point during my skating career did I actually think I was going to go into the world of nutrition and go on to what I was doing. Um, you know, I wanted to be a, a, a world famous uh, skater and then go into coaching afterwards and follow the footsteps of, of my coach, Sandy Branker, her name was. And you know, so it, it is rather devastating when something like an illness stops you in your tracks and mm. and completely moves you in a, in, a, in a different direction. But I was lucky that that direction was also something I had a flair for and uh, loved it and just became passionate about it as well. But I still do love um, mostly working with athletes and um and and you know sort of business athletes as i call them and those are you know athletes obviously we know you know their job is to is their sport and business athletes are you know they work to um fuel their sport yeah. and and so i i i love them both and i i like to i kind of consider myself still a bit of a business athlete and and when did you think you could you could build a business based on the knowledge that you had um, you'd gathered well, that is um, the inspiration really came from Japan and I was blown away by the variety of food they ate. And when I used to travel back to Canada and um, uh, the UK, because my husband, uh, you know, is, is from Poole. So when I used to travel back here, I used to have something I've kind of coined as reverse culture shock because I couldn't find those foods that made me feel really fantastic. Mm -hmm. And and of course, everyone thought you were kind of weird here having, you know, fish and rice and miso soup for breakfast when <laughs> the, the, the typical kind of breakfast here is, you know, um, cereal out of a cardboard box. And the cardboard box is probably more nutritious than the cereal that you're eating. And so <laughs> it really was this this reverse culture shock. And I thought, wow, do you know what? There's a real place for a healthy meal delivery company providing this variety of food with the Japanese principles of more fish, less red meat, wheat-free, dairy-free, uh, sugar-free, salt-free. And so in 2004, I was just um, at the forefront of all this sort of free-from boom and the education that came around that, whereas now – Nowadays, in you know 2017, every, a lot of products are gluten-free, sugar-free, uh, with all the um, you, you know free from produce that we have. But but no, I was really at the forefront of that movement here in the UK. 
And how did you go about setting up uh, a business or coming up with the idea from yourself in- enjoying those principles and practicing those principles and then thinking, um, I want to turn this into a delivery service whereby other people get to share what I'm having. Were there, were there other thoughts that you could, because like you say now, every, you know, everybody's aware of it. There's this companies um, with shops, you know, the supermarkets have it, but back then there was nothing like that in, in the supermarkets. There was nothing. No, no there, there was, there was nothing in it. And I think it kind of evolved out of, um, I ran a nutrition clinic where I would actually write a 30 day program and give it to a client. Okay. Yeah. You know, here you go, go away. Here's 30 days recipes, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Buy this food, follow this food. And you know what? People just bloody well wouldn't do it. <laughs> and so I'd, I'd have this follow up at the end of, you know, the 30 days. And they'd buy, they would be like, well, I couldn't find this and I couldn't cook this and my children didn't want to eat this and, and I didn't know how to portion control this. And really, it was just like, well, if I did it for you, would you eat it? Yeah. Of course, they said yes. And it was just one of those things. You know, I didn't want my um, clientele to sort of fail. Mm. And so if if I made their meals for them, they would succeed. And that's where the whole sort of basis of the idea came. And so I... I started it all from home, um, you know, and just kind of cooking for a couple of clients. And and then word just kind of got out. And after three months, I had 25 clients. And I thought to myself, hmm, hmm. maybe I have a little bit of a business here. Yeah. And, and of course, there was, you know, back then, what, what was that, 17 years ago, um, there, there were no, well, there was one other healthy meal delivery company, and that was it. And they weren't even doing, you know, anything like we were doing, which was calorie controlled meals and a breakfast, lunch and dinner, everything you needed for a full day. It really was a full service. And, and how did you go about setting that up then? Because assuming you'd, you'd obviously need the food, you'd need somewhere to make it, you'd, you'd need uh, a distribution, vans. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm laughing only because I get these sort of flashbacks of my house, my own kitchen, um, you, you know, being uh, the initial sort of prototype um, area and my living room being turned into a stock room and, you know, our own car being used as the whole kind of process rolled out from there. Um, I think there was a decisive point that I wanted to make this as a full business. And so what I did was um, went to the bank and asked for a loan and I was rejected for a loan. Um, I think because I was an expat and they probably thought, oh my God, who's this crazy Canadian with this crazy idea? Mm-hmm. We're not going to lend her the money to, to go and get an industrial unit. So I decided to remortgage the house and, and, and um, you know, fund the whole experience myself and, and, and jump in, you know, all in hundred percent, as they say. Yeah. Um, and so I, uh, we, we bought an industrial unit, which was, um, you know, big enough for expansion as well. And then we, um, you know, over the years expanded that industrial unit with mezzanine floors and things. Um, I hired a chef and so there were three of us, there was myself as the nutritionist, um, a chef cooking the food and I bought a van and hired a driver. And so, you know, it, it, it had very, very humble beginnings of, mm. of that and learning as you go. So um, that's kind of the basis of it, really. Yeah. And, and so you already had a client base. So one van would service all the clients locally. But then, exactly. 
you started getting interest further afield than Dorset, I, I'm assuming. Yeah, we did really quite quickly, actually, because, um, you know, the PR, we had some local PR, which was absolutely wonderful. And within the local PR, of course, um, you know, it just news just kind of spread. And of course, since we were so unique in what we were doing, uh, you know, London and further afield wanted the meals. So in, we did we did eventually get a, a couple more vans. So we had our own fleet of vans. And but we also teamed up with FedEx as our affiliate. Okay. Uh, Deliveroo wasn't around then I would have loved <laughs> at that time, but, you know, we had options of just couriers. Mm. And so FedEx were amazing. And, um, you know, they were they were our delivery partners where we couldn't fully um, service ourselves. But then that's also when we started looking at franchising. And so each franchise would have its own um, delivery van or affiliate delivery partner as well for further afield once once they grew to to um a certain size as well okay and how did you was, was that something you thought of literally organically as you went along you, you kind of suddenly saw the growth and thought there's, there's a couple of different ways i can i can um accelerate this growth and one being one being franchising yeah exactly and and i think um you know it was right at the time and franchising was really very popular and so we we hired a franchise consultant and we templated the whole business which is a, a fantastic exercise just in itself um and then it was one of our customers actually who was the hr director of a of a local very large firm who was a customer wanted a different um direction in in her life and she bought our first franchise and so it was it was a great partnership and we learned a lot along the way and she took the the bristol and bath um franchise which was the first one so it was, it was exciting times and and learning how to to expand the business and then other areas we expanded ourselves mainly through our own um fleet and fedex which which was uh you know had its ups and downs but mainly ups <laughs> That's good. And, and how did um, so you, it started the business originally in 2005? Is that right? 2004. 2004. Um, so you, you went through the whole ro roller coaster ride of the, um, of, the, of the credit crunch. The recession was dreadful. You know, that was that was really tough. We, um, you, you know, we, we had to streamline the business. I had to make my first person redundant and, um, you, you know, the sort of heart-wrenching bit that, that came with that and really just, just learned about communication within the team and making sure that everyone knew that, that we were safe. Uh, I think what really helped is that we, we lost one or two big competitors who, who didn't quite make the, the um, recession. And so we mopped up some of their customers, which obviously helped. Um, we were a luxury product. You know, the first thing that's going to go is your meals. We were 25 pounds a day. So, you know, uh, people kind of rein that in if they don't, if, yeah. you know, if they don't see the benefit. Uh, luckily, we had a really good core um, foundation base of customers that uh, stuck with us through the whole thing. But it was a it was a massive learning curve. You really do learn to budget. That's for certain. And, yeah. and appreciate appreciate cash flow. Mm. And, and at what stage did you you think about exiting the business or was that was that was there always an exit strategy or did it come completely out of the blue when when somebody offered to, to buy the company from you I, I i always had an exit strategy i don't think um yeah you, you know people always say what's what's your end goal mm. I, I, and and so you know i had this this sort of um 
well, what's the word really? This, this sort of blown up, escalated idea that we're going to sell for this amount of money and da, 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 da. Mm. And the, the, you know, so we always, we always worked towards that. It just came a lot quicker than I thought it was going to come. And, and it did really come out of the blue because although we were, uh, you, you know, we came out of the recession and then we built back up and we really heavily um, launched some fantastic products into the retail market and uh, expanded heavily into London. Um, but it, it really was um, an interesting uh, offer from a national catering company saying, you know, look, this is a, a, an interesting way for us to expand our business by X amount is to purchase a couple of companies within the same um, line of work that we can completely cater for gives us a variety in our portfolio mm. and gets us up to a level of where we want to be. And, and of course, my level of business never really thought that consultants are actually hired by other bigger companies to do this. So, yeah. so it was, it was kind of one of those dream meetings that you go to and, and was really kind of all done and dusted within a, within an hour. Wow. I know that's no way. But it was, it, it, and, but then it was like four months of legals after that, you know, all yeah. the, all the intellectual property was, was, um, passed over and uh, all the contracts that you need and and I moved over with the new company and did a, a really heavy three-month handover and then a six-month handover and you know this this whole process which which had its ups and its downs and um although it's it's one of the most amazing things and the beautiful way to kind of see your you know this 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 business that you've grown um you know flourish and and move on but there is this kind of <laughs> of oh my goodness who am i now everyone knew mm. me as barbara from nutrichef and and then now i'm i'm trying to make my own person as well you know in in a new platform but i always have that as as the founder and and the amazing things that we did with that but the process itself was absolutely fascinating mm. it was interesting I was, I was talking to richard reed from from innocent um earlier in the week uh, and and he was saying with with regards to them being bought by by coca-cola that when they were bought he was absolutely overjoyed and i was like saying really did you did you not look at that as you know almost like one of your children and um you know when it was when it was gone it was like you'd you know you'd, you'd given one of your children away and he said no i was i was absolutely overjoyed i was i was happy i was kind of yeah. interested to know how, how you felt well, yeah, I mean, I was really, uh, obviously, you're, you're happy because it's, it's, it's kind of the end of the road uh, for you at that time. And, you know, it was 12 years of seven days a week. Um, you, you know, uh, wow, the only time I took holidays was at Christmas. Mm. That was it because the whole company shut down. So, you know, a lot of my success, I sort of reflected on what I gave up at yeah. the time of running the business. And so do I miss some of those days of everything that I gave up? No, not really. So yes, from that fact, I'm absolutely overjoyed. Am I ready to retire? Absolutely not. So I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so there, there is this kind of, there is this kind of pull as well. And, and I can completely understand, you, you know, but it is a, it is a definite set of emotions that you, you certainly go through for sure. And, uh, 
going back to your previous point, do you feel that you've managed to find a new identity almost for yourself? Or you've transitioned into, uh, you know, slightly different version of Barbara Cox? Yeah, maybe a little bit of a different version of Barbara Cox, <laughs> but still along the same the same lines. I, I mean, after uh, we did the initial handover for the six months, I I did try to take the summer off, um, which 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 didn't really work. And I think because I'm not ready to kind of, you know, sit back and retire because I would phone all my, you know, friends and say, oh, do you want to go for lunch? Do you want to go for coffee? And of course, they're all still working. <laughs> and, so, yeah. and so I'm like, hmm, okay, do I, I don't want to, you know, go in and work full time for someone else. So, you know, I'm, I was very, I'm very fortunate and, and very lucky that, um, you know, I'm in the position that I am, that I can pick and choose um, exactly what I wanted to do. So one mm. of the things I did always want to do at the time that I was in NutriChef was write a cookbook. Uh, but of course, I never had the time to do that. So that was one of the projects. And I threw myself into that for three months and came out with Rainbow Recipes, which is amazing. And two years on, because it's uh, it'll be two years old in November, um, that I launched Rainbow Recipes. And we sell that all over the globe, um, still doing really well on the on the on the third um, run of fifteen thousand books. Really popular in Australia, and mm. I give you know a, awesome. a massive percentage of that to the charity Cancer Active. So that really ticked a lot of boxes for me, which is great. Mm. And then I kind of got into the consultancy bit as well, which is which is really fun. Um, and going into some small foodie startups, mainly stay within the food realm just to help them and, uh, you know, point them in the right direction and to not make all the mistakes I made at the very beginning of my business because I kind of didn't have that. <laughs> and I always thought in the very young days of running NutriChef is I needed someone to just kind of mentor me and come into the business. And, you know, 17 years ago, there, there wasn't anything like that yeah. at all and it's so important to have that now and so I kind of really love it and and you know just to kind of have me um within a within a foodie startup business to ask questions um you know on tap is is important for them and I I really in, I really enjoy it you kind of feel needed still which is nice again it's nice. another one of those boxes for me yeah so yes it's it's great and and tell me about some of the startups that you've uh, worked with in the in the last two years then or less than two years since you've um, you've gone into um, consultancy well i've worked with a company called twisted halo which is a healthy alcohol of coconut water four percent vodka um fresh lime and fresh ginger that's amazing i really like that and again you know within my nutritional consultancy People always ask, oh, can I drink alcohol? And I, normally I would recommend just red wine. But so it's so nice that someone has finally come up with something, you know, that that is really healthy within that range. Because, um, you know, I do work on an 80-20 rule, which is 80% really fantastic food and 20% what you like. Mm -hmm. So it's nice that there's something in the market that really ticks that box. And, and um, the entrepreneur who runs that, she's just a superstar, really have a lot of respect for her. I have a lot of respect for anyone in the startup, to be honest. Um, then I, I did some work with a company called Matcha Now, and I still uh, continue work with them. They are a green tea with a very innovative um, 2.5 grams of matcha green tea in the lid 
of the bottle. And I just think the patent that they have on this is incredible. The quality is incredible. So we're just breaking into the UK market and EU market. We're getting some really um, fantastic places for it to go into uh, from from pubs and wholesalers to, you know, your regular kind of planet organics and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's really fun. Then a very um, new product that hasn't even launched yet called Kofro, which is uh, run by the London Paleo Girl. And Tessa and I work quite closely. She um, spent two years inventing a recipe for a coconut frozen dessert. And basically what that it's launching in Ocado, which is the most amazing place to actually launch a product. They adored it. Mm. And that only has five ingredients. And we worked with everything from, you know, trademark through to, um, you know, contacting and doing, uh, uh, working with buyers, uh, mm. margins, everything, because she, again, was one of your typical entrepreneurs who had the idea for a product and put all of her money and resources into a product but didn't know anything else around it. So um, so we've really helped her with that. She's she's a, a, another superstar. Um, and then I've, I've gone into some larger existing companies to put in new product development uh, around um, existing ranges and if they want to expand. And that's really great because that's really high-level stuff. So I don't only work with startups. I, I, I go in and one of the recent ones that I'm working with is a, a local company here in Poole but that have a global reach because most of the team are out in Vegas at Interbike this week, um, is called Muckoff. And they originally are one of the um, bike cleaning um, sort of entrepreneurs within the within the UK, and they do everything from uh, anything to do with cleaning your bike. So anything that takes care of the outside of the bicycle, and they sponsor um, Sky the Sky Cycling Team with that. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're they're quite a large company, turn over many, many um, tens of millions of pounds. And I am producing their whole athlete's performance range from topical creams to supplementation that we are launching. Uh, some of the products have already launched, uh, drip feeding those, getting the blog posts together. But it's the whole athlete's performance website that is now um, going to be uh, taking on um, side by side. So it's great. So I got my teeth into that and, and working alongside the team here in house, which so, is where I'm at today. Yeah. It's almost like you, you've come full circle from, um, being the skater in Canada and the, the nutrition that you used to have back then to now helping people at, um, the athletes at, at Muckoff. Yep. Yep. Which is great. And working with the cyclists and, and all of their, um, you know, cycle teams up at Sky, and and it, it's it's wonderful, and and they have such a beautiful uh, in-house team culture here. It's really great. They, you know, it's perfect for me because it it actually reminds me of NutriChef. You know, they cycle to work, they take care of themselves, um, although they eat a lot of cake. <laughs> I'm fixing, I'm fixing that. I'm fixing that. Trying to make them healthy cake. Good. And, <laughs> yeah. So it's it's really great. And the MD Alex Trimnell, he's um you know, a real true visionary and really supportive and, and we work really well together. And I think it's really important with the team dynamics of, of you know, um, anywhere that you go in. And this was one of my worries. And luckily, I haven't had any issues with any of the companies that I've gone into, because I think once you are this entrepreneur, there is this stigma around once you sell your business, could you ever go and work for someone else? And, yeah. you know, 
I mean, I'm a fairly easy person to get along with anyway, but I do have my my ways and I'm very driven and I'm, I'm very focused. Mm. But going into all the businesses, I've been immensely lucky that I've worked with. They have had the same ethos as me and the work ethic as me. Um, and I, I'm enjoying I'm enjoying my work life balance very, very much, which is something actually I didn't have when I ran my own company. So life is mm. good. Excellent. And how can people um, connect with you, both both startups and, um, you know, more rounded, developed companies who are further down the road but could still do with some help in, in getting their product to market, developing other product ranges? Well, they can. Uh, social media is, is easy. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Um, but if they wanted to visit my website, which is bcnutrition.co.uk, then they can get in touch with me or um, LinkedIn as well. But I, I you know, uh, the best way is just send me an email, barbara at bcnutrition.co.uk, and I will get back to you. <laughs> awesome that's uh, that's brilliant thank you so much for your for your time today well thank you that's wonderful thanks very much Alex so following on from last week's story with Richard Reed in Innocent Barbara Cox's is not dissimilar in that she also um, realized the potential of the company by by selling it uh, many years later after putting in over, over a decade of, of hard work. Um, one of the things that stood out for me is her not wanting her clients to fail. So coming up with a solution to their problems because what she was doing by giving them the 30-day plans wasn't working. So she actually went and made the food for them and delivered it right to their door. Um, Scale, so going from local to national, having enough people locally to make it work on on a small, relatively small level um, compared to what she grew it to. By then, franchising the company, there's obviously many different options to to scale a company, but um, her take on it was by franchising um, the business, she was able to grow it from a local to a national consideration. And that's when um, other people became interested in, in buying that from her. And lastly, using the skills that you've got in other ways. So yes, she, she used those skills and that knowledge from the nutrition industry to grow her own business and then has been able to help a number of other businesses in a similar uh, niche also grow their businesses. Uh, so a bunch of startups and also bigger businesses as well who've managed to utilize her individual skill set and grow their business exponentially. Next up are Sam Lahan and Diana Mwendo who have recently launched MYO. MYO is an art gym for your creative muscles, an arts and crafts startup for adults where MYO stands for Make Your Own. I caught up with Sam and Diana to tell me more. Uh, MIO is, stands for Make Your Own and it's creative space for adults. Uh, we're currently in London where you can try lots of different arts and crafts, have fun, relax and bring some beer if you like or some wine. <laughs> um, we provide all the materials, the equipment, the guidance so you can try lots of creative um, activities and experience the mindfulness aspect of being creative. Awesome. And um, I think I saw somewhere um, a tagline uh, or, or a slogan, um, an art gym for your creative muscles. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, the thing is with the art gym, it's 
you know, you train your body, go to the gym, train it, you know it's good for you. So we think, you know, train your mind as well. We have all the materials there in the same way you'd have all the equipment in the gym. You have us and hopefully in the future more um, kind of assistants who can guide you um, and walk you through some simple techniques. And yeah, or you can just come in and get going um, by yourself and, you know, get stuck in. There's live drawing, illustration, ceramics, decoupage. Um, if you know what you're doing, feel free to to go off. So that's why we use the the gym analogy. I think it. I love it. Who, who came up with it? <laughs> yeah, we did. You did? Ah, <laughs> we did yeah. Oh. I really like it. I think it. Oh, thank it, you. Yeah, it creates a, a picture in your mind straight away. Mm, mm, exactly. And I think it helps people see it a bit more of something you could go to, you know, once a week, a couple of times a week in the same way you do um, a gym. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfect. Mm-hmm. And, and where can people um, essentially make their own? Whereabouts so you based? Just, yeah. Yeah. No, we, at the moment we have a creative studio in Borough, which is a few minutes from London bridge station. And um, it's decked out with kind of materials and equipment for over 30 arts and crafts. There's a big library of over a thousand books with patterns and designs mm-hmm. and tons of how to's. And um, we have started to do offsite sessions as well. So we can go into companies and we have been going into companies and putting on kind of creative team building sessions. And um, so at the moment we're in Borough, but we can do offsites. Cool. And, and how much is that split between doing um, on-site and off-site stuff at the moment for you? <laughs> I mean, it's very much more um, on-site. The studio is decked out beautifully, as Sam said, um, and has everything there, including a giant kiln. Um, so we love getting people down there. It also helps, you know, when you're in the creative environment, um, it kind of helps your juices get flowing. Um, so it's, I'd say, 90% um of it is in the studio and then every so often um a team say of 20 people and we can't fit 20 people in the studio just yet um so we'd go to them and and try and and bring all the stuff with us and yeah create the environment there cool and um how did you come up with the idea for this in the first place then um (laughs) uh, so we started out about Towards the end of last year we had gotten into you know the whole coloring book um craze that hit and is still continuing. So we were so into that, um, found it really relaxing. We literally have about 10 coloring books, um, but we found it really hard to do it at home in the sense that we'd get distracted by laundry or, you know, start looking at what's on Netflix. Um, but when we did do it, say on the train, you know, and you had nothing else to do. Um, yeah, we found it really, really relaxing. And on New Year's Day, we were walking and we kind of thought, geez, wouldn't it be nice to have a place where we could, you know, finish these coloring books and maybe try something else like life drawing, which I've always wanted to do, or pottery. Mm. Um, and around the same time, we were talking about business ideas and we'd been exploring a couple of others. But when we said, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have this space? Um, it kind of came from there. We thought, geez, yeah, we should we should try and do this. And we had a look at what else was in London and there's loads of awesome um, kind of creative classes and pop-ups, but we wanted to kind of bring it to the next level and just have this dedicated space, you know, this art gym. Um, 
And, you know, we tried out a class in the studio that we were we are currently in. Um, we, we did this towel painting and, you know, three hours flat of just painting and playing with colors. And we looked at each other and thought, yeah, this this is it. This this is definitely what we should do. We should get more people feeling like this and experiencing this because it was so much fun. And I felt so, so relaxed. <laughs> Sounds awesome. And, and at what yeah. stage did you decide that you could work together (laughs) was that a trial and error or or a trial and no error in fact (laughs) yeah it kind of happened quite quickly in the end um before we kind of stumbled across this idea we'd started looking into an afro-caribbean hair and beauty platform (laughs) and buy lots of products and went to an afro-caribbean award ceremony and kind of started looking at that um but just when we did this and started looking into the benefits of being creative and started talking with each other and what kind of business we wanted to set up, we felt kind of a physical environment, which is fun and kind of empowers people mm. is what we'd like to do. And mm. when we went to that session that Diana mentioned, we loved it. And within a couple of months, we started the pop-up because we just said, let's go for it. Let's go for it. Yeah. Um, I think it was also very clear that we have very different but complementary strengths. I mean, if we play to our strengths, Sam is very kind of methodical, detailed, um, process-driven, while I'm more kind of crazy, energetic. Let's talk to loads of people. Let's just try <laughs> things. Let's experiment. Um, and we we kind of balance each other out. Um, yeah. And I think that kind of gave us confidence to go because, yeah, you always need a co-founder who balances, who balances you out or, or plays to your weaknesses. Yeah, and I guess, like, I've always wanted to set up a startup. My dad set up a business in Ireland, a hardware business in the 70s. My brother set up a startup. It's something that I've always wanted to do, and I've looked at tons of different ideas in the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just never found the idea and the person that I wanted to set it up with, and timing was wrong, and all sorts of things happened. Um, But then, yeah, finally, (laughs) I guess found diana um and we said yeah let's give it a go because as diana said we we kind of do have complementary skills we love the idea so just decided to go for it mm. um, and it's fun working together and, and how long did you guys know each other before you you set up the business together um so we've been going out what nearly three years now. yeah three years next week alex <laughs> Ah, he's not going to forget that then, is he? (laughs) And I remember our second date, we went to the Tate Modern Mm -hmm. to kind of, there was a Matisse exhibition on and we went to kind of check that out. So there's kind of, creativity has kind of been bubbling in the background, but Mm. we just haven't really done much of it together Mm. until the last nine, ten months where Mm. we've kind of been exploring it. Um, So yeah, so we've known each other for nearly three years now. Mm. Learn more about each other every day. (laughs) Yeah, especially working together. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I think if anything, it's kind of helped us get along even better just because you, 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 yeah, you learn the small cues that somebody gives when they're stressed or struggling with something. And I know really what Sam's strengths are and he really knows what my strengths are and kind of encourage each other as you go, as you go along. Yeah. yeah. I guess it is something that we both taught or separately, I'd say, just at the start before we did this, just, this is kind of we're putting all our chips in here we live together we're going out <laughs> set up a business the right thing to do yeah um, i think from exploring the other idea i mentioned we kind of thought it worked well so mm. we said let's go for it mm. um, and yeah seems to be going so far so good 
Good. And uh, as I understand, you, you both from an accountancy back background. Yeah. So yes, who's, who's in are. charge of the numbers then? Which one's creative. in charge of the numbers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I started off um, on a grad scheme at Ernst & Young, which I loved. But um, yeah, I'd always kind of felt that was that was very much one side of me, um, you know, being very analytical, um, very long hours. I was doing due diligence. Um, yeah. And I really missed that kind of hyper energetic, mad, playful side um, that now I feel so lucky to be able to tap into. <laughs> um, yeah. And we get similar enough background. I started out in KPMG um, did my accountancy exams, worked with companies gone bust um, which was a really, really good learning experience, but it's just a bit depressing, to be honest, kind of yeah. finding people in the midst of the, res- of the recession. Yeah. Um, so I left that and volunteered in a social enterprise called Kamara Education for nine months and then moved to London to set them up here. Um, they provide digital literacy skills to children across Africa. So it's really good fun kind of setting that up. We had lots of volunteers training them up in how to refurbish hardware equipment. Um, and then slowly moved towards startups and worked in Virgin Startup for a while, doing partnerships and supporting startups through that. And then eventually <laughs> found, found a business that I wanted to kind of commit to full time and got stuck into to MIO. Mm. And, and how, how far do you think you can, you can both take MIO? Is, is there a, um, a, a big dream, a bit, a bigger, big vision that you can, you can articulate now or are you too too into it in the in the early stages no like yeah i guess we did start it with the end in mind mm. and kind of the ultimate aim is is really to be in every city in the world um and we do think in the next five ten years being creative and kind of looking after your mental health and um being more mindful is going to be more a part of people's routine mm. um, so like the long-term ambition of mio is it's almost a membership based um, space where people come they get all the equipment materials guidance there's a selection of different classes on or they can just come in and use the facilities Um, but it's kind of a a monthly membership kind of based thing we think it's a bit too early for that at the moment so that's why we're kind of doing some separate sessions and we're trying sessions where people can just come in and use what's there and they can do some ceramic painting or decoupage or design a t-shirt for a friend or have a bit of a go with illustration Mm. and macrame Um, and people seem to really like that so Mm. it's it's something we'll do more of but it's not quite there yet I don't think where people can kind of come in and they feel confident enough yeah yeah Yeah. Um, but that yeah the aim is to be as I say you know train your body train your mind you know creating as a habit Um, everyone's being pushed to be more innovative and more creative so you know want to provide the first step into doing that yeah, there's a long way to go. We're only at the very start of this journey. But yeah, that's, sure. That's the and and is that the so the, the business model, um, medium long term? You think is is more of a subscription based model, membership model? Um, but at the moment, it's more um, pay as you go to to get people introduced to that concept. Is that right? Mm. Uh, yeah, I Absolutely. think so. Yeah. Um, I think in the next kind of six months it'll become more apparent 
whether the membership model is what people like and mm. if, if it's something that they'll sign up for. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll probably start doing kind of loyalty-based things in the next few months. But for now, for the next six months, it's very much you can come in to a specific class or you can book in a couple of hours in the studio mm-hmm. and use all the materials and equipment mm-hmm. and just get creative yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, with us kind of there, give you a bit of a helping hand if needed. Yeah, okay. I guess also with a few months, you'll see how often people are coming back and whether they're itching to come back, you know, three four five times a month at which point you'll be like you know why don't we start looking at a membership thing for you because you'll it'll be cheaper for you and you'll have you know more flexible access to the studio Mm. um yeah and when you were finding the initial space um Mm. how, how did you go about that that process what was it that you wanted to to prove the demand for it by having a pop up before you then committed to anything else Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it was it was an MVP, as it were. So we thought we have this idea. It's not completely fully formed. Let's just see if it works. Let's see if people are even interested in this kind of thing. And um, because you know, finding a space or renting out in London is a is a bit of a big outlay, which we didn't have. Um, and we're very much committed to bootstrapping until we're very very confident. Um, um in the idea and what works so we went to a space that we thought did pretty much what we wanted to do but they were focusing on on kids mainly yet we you know we want to give this platform to adults so I just went in um we we tried a few of their things and then you know what we just asked we just said look we have this idea you're obviously very experienced you've been doing this with kids what do you think about um, doing it with adults do you think it'll work you know could we could we work with you and yeah and that was literally it was as simple as that we were so lucky um and you know when the agreement came through it was like cool you know we, we're, we're literally good to go um it had everything we needed um and yeah we were able to start within a few weeks <laughs> yeah and like in terms of advice from that my, I've done a bit of partnership stuff in the past and I definitely recommend anyone listening like if you are setting up a non-tech business like we are, do look to partner um, and see if there's spaces out there that you can kind of use some mm. of your capacity mm. or if there's any businesses out there that you can work with to kind of help get the message out. Mm. Um, we could have got massively bogged down in trying to get funding to deck out a whole space mm. and pay six-month deposit in rent. Mm. Yeah. But we said, okay, let's see what's out there first and can we work with people? Mm. And that's what we've done. And mm. we wouldn't have got the momentum we have if we didn't do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was kind of, yeah. So very, very lucky that that, that it happened. Mm. But I guess we kind of had our eyes open to see because that kind of opportunity arise mm. because we didn't want to go down the road at that time of fundraising for a couple of months and looking for the funds for it. Mm. And I think it's just important to realise you don't have to try and do everything by yourself. <laughs> There's so much else you have to worry about. So you can always work with somebody or a group of people. It's, it makes the journey easier and more fun. And in what's undoubtedly uh, a, a digital world was that was the plan to make this um very much a, a tech free zone yeah um so i've in the last few months i've read up a lot more on digital detoxing and how important it is to kind of disengage from technology um we were thinking should we make a bit more of a deal out of it in terms of branded as almost a tech-free space where you can be creative. But what we've kind of found is just naturally people put their phones away. Yeah. They get very engrossed really? in the activity mm. they're doing. Um, and I get the biggest kick I get out of the whole thing is just when people leave and are like, 
feel really relaxed and mm. made something. Mm. Um, People are surprised. I mean, they often go, oh my gosh, I haven't even looked at my phone for two hours, <laughs> you know, and the only time they look at their phone is to take photos of what they've made. Um, so it's really cool seeing that. It's, yeah, especially when they exclaim it themselves. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it was definitely something we were thinking for a while. Should it be kind of, you walk in, you put your phone away, we almost lock it in a cupboard. Yeah. Uh, but at the moment, we think people might be a bit kind of wary of that just in case someone needs to call them or something happens. So mm. um, I suspect we will in the future introduce mm. more classes which are kind of tech free, put your phone away. But for now, it's we're finding people aren't really using their phones and are kind of enjoying not doing that. Mm. They not just use use the phone at the end to take a picture of their uh, their handiwork. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Oh, I'm seeing how proud they look. Oh. <laughs> I really <laughs> Yeah, it's, fun, it's funny it's asking that because why well, I, I went to um, an escape room recently yeah. that, um, that was in town and yeah, great, great fun. But and, and the funny thing was they they ask you to to lock all of your mobile phones into a locker when you when you sign in, and I was saying, wow, that must have been really interesting experience for um, for teenagers. And they were saying, you know, some of these kids would literally just like look from their phone, look at them and just complete silence. And then like yeah. my phone yeah, away. <laughs> I know. For I an know. hour. And it's like, it's just for an hour, for an hour. How do I do this? <laughs> yeah, there was, I don't know why I read it, but there's some study that showed people are more apprehensive about being separated for like, I think a couple of weeks from their phone than from their partner, which I think is mad. <laughs> hilarious. That's absolutely it's hilarious. Really but I can believe that uh, as well for yeah. a certain demographic <laughs> part of the, um, the the population. Yeah, exactly. So do, do you get a real buzz out of people um, finishing what they've created there and um, mm. then, like you say, taking a photo and is, mm. is, is a lot of – because I suppose you also need to – embrace technology yourselves by telling yeah. your story spreading mm-hmm. the word um getting yeah. people to to post up what they what they've created um that, that you can then share socially yeah absolutely that's that's kind of the balance is you know before spreading the word saying hey come down during it just enjoy the experience enjoy being present you know that's the mindfulness aspect of it and then afterwards again spread the word look at what i've made um i think the most kind of brilliant example of that is when I, I dragged one of my friends down and she happily stayed. She's not creative. It's not her thing. But I was like, look, just come and try it. Um, and I showed her a really kind of easy to understand technique. Um, and she kind of decorated this beautiful box. And afterwards, the first thing she said, oh, my gosh, I don't even know where my phone is. <laughs> so that was the first surprise. This somebody is constantly checking emails on her phone. Second thing was, I can't believe I've made this. She took so many pictures. And afterwards, we went out for dinner. She had it on the table, was taking more pictures. She was showing the waitress, look at what I did. <laughs> um, and I was just, yeah, seeing that made me so, so happy. Um, just convert, kind of converting somebody's self-belief on how creative they can be. Um before and after yeah that's that's quite magical because with a lot of people it's a kind of a strange thing in that all kids are creative they mess around with different toys they play with play-doh they 
do fun fight games, whatever. They do tons of different things. But then a lot of people just kind of don't explore that um, once they reach a certain age, which we find yeah. a bit odd. And it's yeah, something we've kind of rediscovered ourselves mm. in the last year or so. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we just really want to provide a platform that's kind of fun, mm. nice and chilled out. Mm. You can, yeah, as I said, you can mm. bring a few beers or mm. have some wine, mm. chill out with friends and family and just make some nice things. Yeah. Um, it's nice when you have people when they make something and they tell their friends it's it's great isn't it first hand hearing from somebody who you wouldn't have thought is great and they're like look at what I made and they put it on Instagram and they tag you that the value of that is just yeah yeah that's huge really yeah yeah cool. absolutely and um what advice would you offer anybody who's who has a hobby who has a has a passion and they want to turn that into um a business something that they can um share with other people hopefully make make an income from as well mm. um i think uh, a really important thing for yes yeah, somebody that has a bit of a hobby and they're passionate about it is definitely to just keep pursuing it um having a network is really really important mm. when you're setting up a business um, so kind of getting involved in the spheres around the hobby or activity that you kind of want to pursue is really important mm. so whether that be go to events follow kind of influencers in the space on twitter yeah. instagram or yeah. facebook connect um, with them connect with them mm. if they have books read the books and just kind of really get into that zone where they are mm. um, and then i what i find and what a lot of people find is just opportunities kind of present themselves then so if you kind of engross yourself in the space opportunities will come up mm. um, if you haven't kind of set up a business before and are really worried about that side of things there's just so much good information out there on mm. the internet there's places like yourself in Bournemouth that kind of give mm. advice to startups mm. and do mm. lots of startups events. Um, so just at the start, get out there, speak to people, build mm. up a bit of a network, kind of um, absorb as much information as you can. Mm. Um, and then you'll quickly, hopefully, get kind of confident in your ability to to take it to the next Execute. level. I th just adding on to that, um, the one, and I, I saw this, I think Mark Zuckerberg said this, and I think it's so true. Um, no idea comes out fully formed. You have to work on it. Mm -hmm. And just think, yeah, if you have a hobby and you have a passion for something, try out a few things, just get working on it. You know, Sam says, connect, try, maybe do a class, maybe try and I don't know, make something, just see, just experiment with, with different ideas because it's only when you start work on it, working on it, will it start forming. Um, and it might not be what you thought you'd end up with, but you know, that journey will only start by, by working on it. And it's kind of what we found once we started working on it is it's when we've more and more believed in what we're doing and kind of where it could go. Yeah. yeah. Just, it's never been a better time to set up a business. Um, it's so much cheaper now than 10, 15, 20 years ago to just mm -hmm. get up and running, whether it's having, setting up your email, setting, using tools like Asana for kind of task listing, Slack for communicating, MailChimp for sending out emails. Mm -hmm. There's so many tools out there which take out a lot of the hard work that you traditionally would have had to do. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's a lot easier now to kind of just get up and running. So say, for example, if you're selling something and you make it at home, you can go on Shopify or Etsy. They do a lot of the marketing for you. They can handle a lot of the delivery of it. So all you have to do is focus on the craft side um, and you can get support in um, from the outside as well. So kind of that is lots of resources, tools and people out there that, that really want to help startups succeed. And um, don't feel you have to do it all yourself. 
That's awesome advice. That's uh, that's absolutely brilliant. And um, <laughs> sounds like you got something really exciting there that um, that's got potential to to take it as far as you want to take it at the, at the end. Yeah. Of the Oh, I hope so. I think we're so excited to get relaunching our relaunching our schedule in uh, a couple of weeks. Um, and yeah, we're just looking at what's on the agenda for Christmas. And yeah, we're we're really really excited. Um, also, we have some customers who have been literally messaging us saying we can't wait to get started again. So yeah, no. Great, and and so per- perfect timing. T- tell me how people can um, connect with you, come to make something where you are. What are the easiest ways that they can they can do that? Um, yeah, well, the website is www.myo.place, P-L-A-C-E, and Instagram is at myo London. And um, so, yeah, we we're very kind of proud of what's made on site. We well, most of the pictures that we have on our Instagram are things that people made mm. in the studio and are very proud of. Um, so, yeah, if you want to kind of find out more, I guess check out those two um, and we'll, we'll be in touch. Awesome. Thank you both so much for your time. I wish you all the very best. Ah, thank, ah, thank you. You will have to get you down to the studio, Alex. Yeah, well, given <laughs> given that I'm somebody who um, struggles to do a good stick, man, then yeah, I'm probably oh. prime prime material. Yeah, I guarantee you'll surprise yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, absolutely. <laughs> so I love the vision of Sam and Diana who'd love to have a, an MYO in every single town um, that you come across. And one of the ways that I liked how they've gone about um, setting up their business is by getting a pop-up in an existing space, getting people to work with them to prove demand for the concept, get momentum um, before then looking to to grow, scale the business because not everybody wants to take on a load of debt, take on uh, a bricks and mortar property until they've proven the concept. So I think they're very much going about it in, in the right way. Um, interesting one is working together, spoken to many different groups of entrepreneurs, those who've gone it alone and those who've done it as a couple. So my, my hats are off to them uh, for trying to do that together and and it certainly seems to be working. So it's so good on them. And what I also liked is the complete tech-free aspect to this business. You know, we are so bombarded from the moment we wake up with our alarm on our phone going off to checking our social media, to checking our emails, to watching TV on our mobiles, to using different apps to check our bank balances, make transactions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I love the tech-free digital detox that MYO offers. Um, Maybe there's something else um, that appeals to you that you can also do something similar that doesn't have to be tech-related. If you'd like the opportunity to attend one of our live events with some of the world's leading entrepreneurs, just go to startupu.co.uk and click on the events calendar. That's startupu with the letter U. From there, you'll be able to see what live events we've got coming up and book a ticket from as little as £5, which includes a complimentary drink and the opportunity to network with like-minded entrepreneurs. Hope to see you soon. If you're an entrepreneur looking for funding, mentoring or support, go to startupu.co.uk. 
And if you'd like to share your startup story, we'd love to hear from you. Just go to the contact page on startupu.co.uk and we'll be in touch. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe and I'd love it if you left me a review of the show. To connect with me personally, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook at Alex Chisnell. Until the next show, remember, don't wait. The time will never be just right. Action always beats intention. This show is brought to you by RocketSpark, who make it easy for anyone to build a great-looking website. Each month, RocketSpark offer one lucky listener the opportunity to get a website absolutely free for the next six months to do some in-market testing of a new idea. Just go to rocketspark.com slash screwitjustdoit to enter. Thank you.